Welcome to the Primal Endurance Podcast. Slow down and enjoy the show, where we rap, literally, about everything you need to know. I'm your host, Brad Kearns. Are you ready? Let's go. Listeners, I have caught up again with Andrew McNaughton. Hello. Something I didn't do very often on the race course was catch you. If you were ahead, you were gone. Really? Mostly. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think that you passed me on the run if you were going to catch me. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't remember. I don't, I don't really remember it's, that much. It was just such a blur. Mm-hmm. Everything happened so it's, fast. It's funny how different people remember different things. I remember us as being pretty even and, uh, and uh, happy when the other person won and disappointed when someone other than us won. That's all I remember. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember mostly embellished Stories occasions. From 20 years ago? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it could be embellished. But if I remember them that way, then that's how they are. Yeah, I like I like I like stories that are embellished. They're usually better. So we um, we haven't had you in a while, and we were talking about some experimenting you've been doing with your diet, which I think might be interesting to the listeners. Unlike the uh, the intro commentary there, but uh, you we were talking months ago. Uh, you're getting interested in maybe trying a distinct keto experiment. And, uh, yeah. what, what did we do from there? So I did try that and, uh, it was, uh, it was fairly easy, uh, to adjust. I never had some of the side effects that a lot of people describe. Um, there were the no cravings. I just did it and it wasn't really a big deal. And then, uh, I tried 24 hour fasts a couple of times to see how those worked. Oof. And, um, again, those were, you know, I would decide, after dinner one night, well, yeah, maybe I'll do it tomorrow. And there was literally no more thought in that. And then I would, you know, wait uh, 24 hours before I ate again. And it really wasn't difficult to do. Um, and so, um, yeah, a few months ago, I tried a 48-hour fast to see how that would go. And again, that really wasn't that big a deal. And I continued to do exercise. During uh, the fast? During the fast. What yeah. kind of stuff? Aerobic or uh, anything? Yeah, like- yeah. So, uh I did uh, an easy hour on the first morning. So I stopped, I had dinner, and then the, the, the next morning I did an easy hour on the trainer. And then uh, the next morning uh, I ran a sort of moderate uh, hour and five minutes. The first 10 minutes or so, I guess, of the run, I felt a little heavy. And then after that, it was really not that big a deal. What do you mean, heavy? Um, Legs heavy? Yeah, just the, the whole body just felt heavy. Not tired, but heavy. But then I warmed into it, and then I was fine. Um, so the curious thing happened at around 40 hours. And um, the lymph nodes in my neck got tender. Cool. And, you're uh, dumping. You're draining. And uh, so, yeah, they're working to clean stuff up. And uh, um, so my thinking there is um, that's just something that happens. Or B, I didn't drink enough water, mm. and so it was didn't have enough uh, fluids in me to clean it smoothly. So it was uh, anyway. So those are the two two deals. And I talked to uh, my friend, my friend who's a doctor, <clears throat> uh, Kyle Heron, who we will probably never reference again, or we have, maybe we've talked about him before. Anyway, so I asked him just to make sure that I hadn't done something stupid. And, uh, yeah, his explanation exactly was that it was probably just cleaning up. And, um, he says, once those get sore, uh, usually takes six or seven days, but not a big deal to worry about it. So sure enough, um, 
I poked them uh, once or twice a day for the first six or seven days. And by day six, they stopped hurting. So, yeah. Wow. Well, you hear all kinds of crazy stories from fasting people. Like on day four, I felt like hell and I was shaking in my sheets and sweating. Yeah. And then I felt this incredible surge of energy and all that nonsense, but uh, maybe not nonsense, but crazy things that happen when you fast. But obviously there's a lot of science showing that um, some things are accelerated, such as immune function, such as cell repair. And that's why all these vaunted benefits occur when you're in that fasted state. So, And I think if you're already in a ketogenic state, it's not really that big a deal not to eat. As If, if, if you people who are listening are already doing that, you understand that if you miss a meal, uh, it's really not that big a deal. And one of the things I tell people actually that since it takes about 20 meals, if it's a bad meal, 20 good meals to recover from the really? bad meal. 20? Um, That's a that, week. That um, if your choice is bad meal or no meal it, right now, then no meal is always better. Um, however, if it's, if it's a longer period of time and there won't be food for quite a while, then probably better eat. But yeah, so uh, people I coach, um, I say, depending on the circumstances, sometimes... Um, if the option is only bad, then just skip it altogether and wait for the next meal when you have a better option. And uh, it takes less time to recover from no meal than it does to recover from bad food. Wow. Where do you get the 20 meals, uh, 20 good eating experiences to recover from a binge of uh, junk food or whatever? Interesting that you asked that, Brad, because I originally came up with 18. And the 18 that I came up with was from the movie Super Size Me. Because he did one month of eating McDonald's. And then at the end of the movie, if anyone's seen it, they said it took him just over 18 months to get his blood work back to where it was at the beginning of the one month. 18 months? So, so I was always working on the, it's, it takes 18 meals per meal sort of, sort of number. And that was just based on, on that statement because it didn't need to be exact. It just needed to be a ballpark. And it needed to be a ballpark that I had something to back up with but it also needed to be a ballpark that was intimidating enough that people would pay attention. Um, and then I was listening to a podcast, and I'm pretty sure it was one of the people you had on, Brad, that he actually said it's about 20 to 1. And so that's why, wow. I, that's why I upped it from 18 to 20, because I actually heard it on a podcast that I believe was on one of yours. And they're all a blur in my brain, because by, I've lost the ability to catalog anything in, in my brain anymore. Um, thing is just it's just like it's paper, full. paper on my desk and it's just a disaster so but sometimes things come out and uh i can't always trace the whereabouts but apparently i can trace the whereabouts of the 18 number but not the 20 but anyway yeah so that's that's where i came up with that number um which which is good because um it gives people a good understanding of the effects of a bad meal relative to the effects of skipping a meal you know skipping the meal may actually have benefit where eating stuff that's really not good, and I don't just mean like, you know, pasta, but I mean like food that's full of chemicals and, and preservatives and all that sort of crap that you shouldn't really eat is actually bad and it takes a long time to deal with it. So it helps make the, it makes the decision easier, I think, because if you know that if you eat this, it's going to take a full week before you get it out of your system or before you are back to where you were, then it's, you know, it, it helps you. It makes it an easier decision. Um, also, um, that brings you back to where you were as opposed to the goal, which is to be, you know, progressive, right. Getting better. So 
you know, not only are you, is it is time passed, but now you're back to where you were all that time ago. And so you're sort of continuing from there, not from today, right? Well, I guess Dr. Kay Shanahan talks about uh, consuming some refined vegetable oils and getting a nice dose from, say, a serving of French fries and referencing a study of healthy, fit, college, young college kids where they took a single dose of French fries and they had disturbed cardiovascular function for 24 hours. Their arteries got stiffer and worked less efficiently from one serving of French fries. And the, uh, the significance was so extreme that it was deemed to be more severe than smoking a cigarette. So in other words, a French fry is going to mess up your cardiovascular function for like 24 hours and a cigarette is going to do it for like six hours. So in, in that sense, in that immediate shock to the body, um, that that's, seems valid. And then if you extend that out to really, you know, getting back to where you were before you had maybe a, a weekend binge of who knows what this and that, I suppose even alcohol would take a while to really uh, clear out, get your liver back to normal enzyme levels or whatever happens when you're trying to process a night of drinking um, probably takes a little work. And I wonder if you could speed it up from like sauna, intense exercise, various things that are in the interest of uh, purifying you. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a good question. Um, uh, that's why we're here, just yeah. to ask the, the uh, tough questions. The, the answer is I don't have any science to back up. Um, but, uh, um, I like the, I like the 18 or 20 number so that people have a good idea, you know, and these, and, and this study was done with people in college and they're much more resilient. Add 20 years of, of, uh, not great eating and, and, uh, all, all the sensitivities that that adds to your body and imagine the, the distress that you put your body in just by, you know, you know, sitting there eating a box of Doritos or a bag, maybe it's a bag of Doritos. But, yeah. uh, you know, uh, the type of effect that'll have on you. So something, well, something yeah. to think about. Uh, I mean, uh, Dr. Maffetone in our videos in the Primal Endurance Mastery course talks about that uh, tendency as you get older, you become less insulin sensitive, more insulin resistant. In other words, more uh, damaged by carbohydrate binges that you might otherwise be able to handle. Uh, we all can reference when we were 12 going, maybe not from Canada people, but when we were 12, you Americans listening, going to the 7-Eleven, having a giant Slurpee and a couple uh, Jolly Rancher candies and then heading out for more fun and games the rest of the afternoon. Whereas if we tried that now at whatever age, um, those carbohydrate hits are you know much more destructive to the body. And so Maffetone's assertion was like, as you age over the course of your life, you might be better off eating less and less carbohydrate due to that factor. So you go more and more toward keto as you get into the older age groups, which isn't talked about much, but it's worth thinking about. I, I grew up in, in uh, Montreal, which means you live on donuts and poutine. No Seven uh, Elevens. There are Seven Elevens, but I didn't go to Seven Elevens. I went so to sad. I went to uh, Winchell's. I think it was oh, or Dunkin' Donuts or whatever it is. I forget. Um, Tim Hortons. There it is. I went to uh, and uh, I ate lots and lots and lots and lots of donuts as a kid. But apparently, um, kids aren't don't function uh, as well on a on a ketogenic diet as they do on one that's more well-rounded uh, but as you get older as you were saying um lowering the carbs is better is better as we get more resistant from we build up a sensitivity and then a resistance and and we're better off yeah we probably build up that resistance from slamming ourselves with such bad food during our formative years and it's yeah. kind of a tough one to see like young people 
and their adverse eating habits and they're fine and they're of, of normal weight. In some cases, a lot of the kids are getting fatter these days, but um, yeah, everything seems fine. And then let's check in when you hit 25, 35, 40. And when the damage starts to occur later, it's, it's too late to reflect back and say, wow, I wish I was healthier in my youth because I'm going to pay the price later. That's the ultimate story of looking back. So what I've, what I've noticed is that people come to me in their late 30s to mid 40s when they're 20 pounds or more heavier than they were in college. And they're wondering why what they eat all of a sudden is making them heavy. And I said, well, it's not all of a sudden. It's you've been eating food that hasn't really worked for you for a long time, but you were more resilient in your early 20s. And slowly over time, you're, you've worn away that resilience and you've built up sensitivities and, as we were saying earlier, resistances, and your body is now fighting back. So think of, think of your immune system as a cup. Um, and everything that you, you do that's adverse to your system, and it's different for each person, but anything that you do that's not good, if you're breathing bad air or you're putting lotion on that's full of you know, stuff that's not really good for you or you're eating food or drinking stuff <clears throat> that's not great, um, it's like adding a pebble to this cup. And so every time you add a pebble, um, you know, your cup is, is filling up. But at some point, you have enough pebbles in there where the cup is starting to overflow um, when you add water to it. And that's when you start getting symptoms and whether they're rashes or uh, systemic um, inflammation or foggy brain or, um, or cancers in some cases or, or, or other maybe uh, immune problems, uh, autoimmune problems. So that's the problem. Then you have to go back upstream, figure out what you're doing and slowly remove a stone at one by one. And eventually your body will come back and it will function better. Um, and that's the trick. And that's what, you know, that's part of what I do as a coach. And that's what makes, I think my coaching a little different is I look at it that way, as opposed to giving someone a workout to do, I look at their overall health and try to figure out what it is that they're doing that interferes with, um, their best version of their healthy self. Right. If if you don't start there, then you're, you're messing with a, uh, a damaged engine, right? And doing all these things to optimize something that's not optimal in the first place. So it seems like a lot of athletes could serve themselves by backing up. I talk about my Nourish Balance Thrive consultations, and you guys do something similar when you when you get a client, you put them through um, some pretty intensive uh, testing and some alternative uh, health practices that they might not get from their doctor, right? Well, we uh, we do functional testing, uh, which is a Functional. I work with a functional uh, medical practitioner, Michelle Corey, and uh, we do extensive blood work and stool work and make sure the body is functioning at its highest level. And then we move. Then we move forward with that. Now, that's not with all my clients. That's an option. That's something that's you know available to someone if they want it. Um, uh, but yeah, it really works, especially if um, you know you're not you're, you're not feeling a hundred percent. You're not feeling like you did three years ago. You know. Um, and that's a good, that's a good way to go. Um, I do that regularly every, every year or two, I go and go through the whole rigmarole myself just out of curiosity so that, you know, the more information I have, so I, so I can, I can compare myself from when I was 44 and 46 and 48 and 50 and 52 and 54, right? I can compare myself. So, um, I can see how things change over time. And as my diet changes and my lifestyle changes a little bit, I can see the subtleties 
in um, a myriad of markers. What know? do you see? What kind of stuff comes up mm-hmm. that's good? Give me some positives and some ones that concern you. Um, <clears throat> some positives and some you know, ones like, that concern Is your testosterone holding steady or declining only slightly? Or what kind of stuff is... So um, my testosterone's always been low. I can go back 30 years and it's always sort of on the low end of normal. And I sort of skip around there, just below the low end or in the low end of normal. Um, and I think if you were to look at me and you know uh, at me, you would say, "Yeah, this guy doesn't look like he's got a lot." I mean, he's, I'm six one and I weigh one fifty two, and I've you know been six one and I weighed one fifty two ninety five percent of the time since I was twenty two. So um, you know, not much weight change, not much. Certainly not much height change, although I'm probably at the point where I'm going to start going down and I'll be six feet soon. And getting um, bigger feet, bigger shoe size. <laughs> yeah, That's my, what happens. Yeah, yeah my, my, my shoe sizes are different. Yeah, yeah they, were, um, they were eight and a half when I started triathlon and they were 10 by the time I finished it. They'll be 12 someday soon. Yeah. You'll be six feet. <laughs> no, no kidding. Yeah. I'm, I'm becoming line, uh, line art where I just sort of, the line shifts. <laughs> The body moves backwards, but the feet stay in the same place. Yeah, that's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. Yeah. So um, I, off the top of my head, no, I don't because I, I deal with it and I move on and I don't really, I'm not really good at remembering why I do things. I just remember that I am doing things. So these aging markers that are, uh, or, you know, disease markers, if you had something that concerned you, obviously you would address that. So you haven't seen anything that's been a steep downhill slide from 46, 48, 50, 52, 54. Okay. So, so that's la- good. Otherwise you'd be talking about it. Yeah. So yeah. last, last year I did notice, uh, in my stool, there was a higher amount of candida than normal. So I did uh, a candida protocol for 45 days, which is you take something that helps reduce some of the candida. You know, some candida is normal, but, uh, overgrowth is, is not so good. It takes energy, right? All these things that are living inside you take energy away from you. So I did a little of that uh, protocol and, and uh, I'm not a hundred percent certain, but my guess is, is that the um, added stress with uh, sick parents in my life and, and the stuff that I was doing with that and uh, less sleep, uh, more travel, more dealing with uh, personalities and doctors and uh, yeah, that sort of took its toll and, um, and, uh, hanging out at the hospital a lot. Uh, so when I was eating, it was sometimes hospital food or not eating at all. I ended up losing quite a bit of weight. Um, by the end of the summer, I think I was down at like 142. Um, and, 10 pounds lost. Yeah. Wow. And, and, uh, I wasn't really paying attention to myself because I was busy dealing with, you know, uh, my father, but, um, when I did, then I started to pay more attention and I put the weight back on. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's, uh, something that I, like I said, I, I'm relatively conscious of, but, uh, you know, my life doesn't revolve around it. It's more information so that hopefully I can do better in the future. Well, it also seems to be extremely common now. We're hearing about this topic of gut health more and more, more and more science coming out. Um, the Nourish Balance Thrive guys report that that's the number one uh, complaint or the number one finding is that an otherwise healthy-looking athletic person has some gut dysfunction of some sort, some inflammation, 
damage to the lining from uh, commonly associated with consuming gluten. And in your case, I think the, you know, you're reporting extra life stress factors and those often affect the digestive system. I remember from training, a lot of times the digestive tract was the first thing to go and the first thing to show up as symptomatic that just didn't feel right, whether it was like, uh, you know, recurring bouts of gas, bloating, intestinal pain. Uh, Mike Pig, our contemporary, had, you know, a really serious digestive problem that took him uh, in, into a lot of medical and health care treatment for years. And he blamed it on Giardia that he picked up in some mountain lake or swimming in China. I think I, I picked up one mm-hmm. swimming in a race in China uh, and all that kind of stuff that we're, we're hitting with. But I wonder with your testing, uh, is that coming up with your clients too? This, this gut dysfunction, is there identified conditions like that a lot? Uh, so the answer is, the answer is yes. And, um, uh, but I work with HIPAA on that stuff. So I don't really talk about other people. Um, uh, what's HIPAA? Is that privacy or something? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's medical privacy. Nice. Yeah. Wow. So um, there's some things that I can talk about and some things that I won't. There may be a lot of gut dysfunction in the triathlon community today. Uh, well, I, or don't, may not. I, I don't work with a majority of people, so I can't say that, but I do work with some. And, uh, um, and most of the time, although I'm, uh, I'm privy to the information, most of the time I hand it off to someone who's far better than me at that. Uh, and I don't just mean far, I probably mean far, 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 far better. Um, that's her one job. She works primarily with extremely complicated autoimmune cases. And so dealing with athletes who aren't quite excelling is a pretty simple solve for her because she's used to working with people who are really uncomfortable and really quite complicated to solve. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, um, we, we all have something going on by the time you get to 35 or 40 and certainly by 50, mm. you know, um, and uh, no matter how fit uh, we, we feel or look, um, there's always things going on, you know, that we could do better. You know, I feel like there's a lot of people in this category where they're, they're, they're okay. You know, they're not dying of a strange disease. Uh, they're maybe making some commitment to fitness. They might not be on the starting line doing competitive stuff. I'm referencing a lot of people in my peer group, uh, you know, dads, old friends, whatever. They're not obsessed with this stuff like a person in the health and fitness scene would be. They go to their doctor and they get a clean bill of health and they walk along their merry way. And so now you're contending, and I think a lot of us agree that are in the in the scene here that most everybody has some issues. Um, well, the, the question the question you ask yourself, and this is one of the things I ask my athletes, is the question you need to ask is what would be best. And you write down what would be best. And if it becomes that it's too expensive or too time-consuming or it doesn't fit with your life, that's fine. But you have to know what would be best for you, right, before you move forward. And then if you can't do what's best, okay, well, what's almost, you know, what's the best that I can do? And that's where you go. But you really need to consciously think of what would be best. And, and uh, you know, for me... Uh, I think health is best. Even if your life is devoted to others, if you're healthy and happy, you can do a better job for others, right? So it's, uh, it's, 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 it's not that complicated for me. And I do spend a lot of my time, you know, taking care of other people who aren't well. Um, and uh, so it's important that I'm, that I'm healthy 
and strong and emotionally stable because I'm dealing with people who aren't, you know, and I need to be calm and uh, I need to be sort of mellow about it because mm-hmm. otherwise I could get caught up in that swirl and it just aggravates everything and, and everything gets blown out of proportion at all. anyway when people are under such high stress uh, lives. So um, especially when it comes to illness in general, you know. Yeah, being able to control your emotions in a stressful setting, stressful life circumstances is valuable. But I think going back to that, um, this is, you know, you're, you're speaking from this athlete mentality where um, our health was paramount during the times that we were trying to make a living racing and getting the most out of our bodies. But if you can carry that forward for the rest of your life, I think that's kind of um, maybe a new concept for a lot of people that put their jobs first or busy moms who put their kids first and forget the advice to put your oxygen mask on first. That's why they say that in the airplane. Everybody goes, Oh yeah, that's cute. But we don't act that we don't act that part in real life. And especially in the, uh, the career setting where you hear, I mean, today people like, it's almost like a badge of honor to be extraordinarily busy, distracted, hyper-connected. And people reference it all day long, like, oh, my God, I've just been slammed. I'm so sorry. Let's let's do lunch next week because my schedule will clear after I do this uh, jet travel to New York and back for an important deal. And you're like, wow, you're doing great. Sounds like everything's awesome. I look forward to catching up to you when you have a spare moment. And, you know, this type of behavior patterns are now lauded and celebrated. Um, how many likes do you have on your social media page and all that kind of stuff? Um, but if you're sitting in the background going, well, I wonder if that's compromising the person's health and the answer is almost absolutely that it is, then where's that uh, road going to end? It's going to end in a, in a dead end before, before you get to your peak potential, your, your ultimate longevity. And also along the way, there's going to be potholes and hazards and things that aren't as pleasant as if you just make that basic, basic commitment to put health number one. Yeah, I was talking to one of my dear friends the other morning when we went for a jog. And uh, he works a lot, and he's, I've been working on him for oh, six or seven years now to work less and play more. Um, and it's slowly sinking in, you know, but he's, he's younger than I am. But uh, you work that much, and you're under that much stress. And especially with the idea of I'll enjoy my life later, um, there's first of all, later is going to be really short and, and it, you may never get to later, you know, does that make sense or am I be too vague? No, that's what everyone's carrying along in the back of their mind. And I like, um, how, uh, Tim Ferriss's book, the four hour work week, put this idea out there that the notion of working, working, working really hard and then, uh, building toward this dream of retirement is, is highly flawed because by the time you work yourself, like a dog and get to retirement, you're going to be physically unfit and, and, you know, maybe even mentally diminished to the point where you're not going to enjoy this wonderful retirement. And instead he proposes these mini retirements where you change careers and do dynamic things in in the middle of your journey so that you can build off that. Yeah. The new wealth is time, not money. So you need enough money so that you can spend your time doing things that you want, but you don't want to wait till you're 62 or 70 or whatever it is when people retire. You know, at least you can do what you want, but that's what I would do. So. <laughs> <laughs> so back to your your experiment, and you talked about the ease of fasting even when you're working out. Uh, but if we carry that forward, tell us about your you know your recent athletic goals or your training regimens, 
and then how this diet alignment has uh, fit in. All right. So uh, I haven't really exercised much uh, in the last 10 months because uh, I had a family member got sick who needed a lot of my time and energy. And uh, I was sort of missing it. So over the last couple of months, I started up again doing an easy hour. Um, I try to do it every other day. And over the last, I guess, few weeks, I've been bumping it up to, I guess, six days a week, an easy hour. Um, varied sports, swimming, uh, biking, running. I uh, just running MMA. and biking. Just running and biking, yeah. um, and and easy, pretty much. Um, although over the last couple of weeks, I have been adding uh, between forty seconds and one minute of something hard on on my bike ride, um, and uh, that started. I was on my mountain bike two weeks ago, I guess, and I was going up this hill, and uh, I was sitting there keeping my heart rate below 120 and I was crawling up the hill and I was sort of going, you know, under my breath, I'm alone. And, uh, I can see the top of the hill and I'm like, yeah, doing a minute hard isn't such a bad idea. <laughs> so I bolted and I went hard for, uh, for what I guessed would be about a minute. Anyway, it ended up being about 40 seconds that I got to the top of the hill. And so then I Got my heart rate came back down, which I was happy because I was, you know, always curious. The first time you get your heart rate up, is it going to come back down in a reasonable amount of time? <laughs> no, you know? it's going to just peg up there. Oh no, 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 no. Yeah. you know, you know what I mean. It's yeah, like, sure. If you're trying to keep it under 120 and you go up to 160, um, will it go back down to 120, or will it sort of level mm -hmm. off at 130 until mm -hmm. you actually have a nap? Right. Mm -hmm. um, no, but it went right back down, so that was fine. So I was in good enough shape at least to do 40 seconds hard, which is which was a nice thing. Anyway, so. I did it again the next time I was out on my mountain bike, which was kind of fun. Um, uh, but in general, it's it's just pretty mellow because I'm literally at the beginning, even though, you know, uh, a year ago, March, so whatever that is, uh, 13 months ago, um, I felt like, oh, I'm in pretty good shape. Maybe I'll go do a race. And I did a race in the desert. Um, so I'm not that years out of shape, but I am literally a year out of shape. So, uh, yeah, it was fun. To, it was fun to do. And what I've noticed over the last week or 10 days, for the first time in, in, in many months, uh, possibly years, but certainly many months, because that's all I can think right now, um, is that I'm starting to get hungry again. And I don't really understand it. Are you but, still in the keto-aligned yeah. eating pattern or yeah. worse that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm still eating um, some protein, which I've cut way back. I used to have almost a pound of protein twice a day. I used to have three eggs in the morning and then almost a pound, somewhere between three quarters and a pound for lunch and dinner. And I've cut that way down to like a quarter pound twice a day. And sometimes just once a day where I'll have just, just, a veg just vegetables for one meal. And that was fine. And I've done that probably since December. Hmm. Um, and so I don't really think that that's a huge issue, but in the last, uh, week or 10 days, I've been getting hungry for the first time and I'm not really sure why that's happening. But prior to that, I haven't had any feelings of hunger. I feel like I'm talking to a therapist now. <laughs> <laughs> hunger in what way, Andrew? Emotionally hungry or hungry for an egg? Oh, uh, hungry for an egg. Okay. Yeah. No, emotion, emotionally hungry. I feel like you have a huge void. <laughs> the center of my chest is a cavity. <laughs> thank you for listening to the podcast if you have any suggestions for andrew please send them in well listen this is a good opportunity to talk about um protein and how the body 
uh, does a really good job naturally optimizing intake with appetite. Chris Kresser uh, is the one that really exposed me to this. And uh, he said that, you know, these cravings and when we get cravings for, for specific foods like pregnant people are known to, or if you're just experiencing general hunger, it could be an indication that um, your body's wanting more protein because protein is so critical for, to survival. And that's what we're highly attuned to when we're protein deficient. And he says it's really, really hard to be protein deficient no matter what kind of diet you're eating because these cravings are going to lead you to more protein. And then secondly, if you are in a state of protein deficiency and you remain that way, you're going to get emaciated. You're going to feel like crap. You're not going to have any energy to uh, perform and recover, even you know, even a mild workout or a, a minimal endurance effort. So um, maybe that's an indication that your, your body's telling you to dial it up a little since you cut it back. And then secondly, I think um, it's a nice thing to talk about because we're trying to uh, oftentimes deal in these absolutes like keto's great and it's 50 grams a day or less and you're going to lose weight and it's so awesome and you should stay there and write down every food you eat to make sure you don't go over and these kind of uh, notions are possibly uh, leading us away from what's intuitively best and so I think uh, obviously we, we could advocate for experimenting with your diet ditching that uh, state of carbohydrate dependency by cutting out all those processed foods and then seeing how it feels to, for example, dial back your carbohydrate intake, maybe all the way into ketogenic state because there's so many health benefits to be had. But then evaluating over the long term, um, what's, what's going to work best for you might be different than the next guy. I've talked on my shows with uh, Dr. Tommy Wood at length about how you might have a different set of decision-making parameters if you're a person who's trying to drop excess body fat and has real trouble doing so, or you're someone like you who lost 10 pounds of a lot of that was you know lean muscle because you didn't have fat to lose, and now you're trying to rebuild and get back into training, you might have a whole, whole different dietary protocol than the next person. But I feel that we do better than we think, uh, just guiding us, guiding with intuition. And so when you're hungry, a lot of times that's a good indication to eat <laughs> instead of ignore it. Not that you're going to ignore it anyway, uh, but I think getting back to some of these basics, but then operating within these wonderful uh, parameters where it, just because you're hungry doesn't mean you, you have a free pass to go get a Slurpee because you know that's, not, that's going to take 20, 20 meals to, to clear up. So, uh, yeah, tell me more about the experiment in terms of um, you know, how it's working with the uh, return to fitness and all that. Do you think diet is helping irrelevant hindering what that's a good question i the, i don't i don't know the answer to that as far as i go um but as far as uh one of the people i work with it's working really well for him um and he's been doing an hour a day on his trainer and he just went and did the um belgian waffle ride um, and he hasn't really been doing... What is that ride? I've heard Chris Kelly did it too. I have no idea what it is. Oh, it's 140 miles uh, of... Uh, Mountain bike? Of uh, on and off dirt. So most wow. people do it with like a cross bike. So it's, cause it's not quite... You, you don't need a mountain bike with all the suspension and stuff. But you need a little bit wider wheels. So they use cross bikes. Um, and uh, it's possible that the people who go, um, you know, six hours are using regular road fames with 28 mil tires as opposed to cross bikes. I cry. Um, my friend used uh, 36 mil tires and you could probably get away with 32 or 28 
Um, but uh, yeah, it's just on and off, and it's sort of like it's sort of like Paris Roubaix, but instead of cobbles, you have you you ride all around and you you find little sections of dirt road or single track, and then you get back on the road. Where know, is it? What location? It's, it's down in San Diego. Oh, okay. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's um, it's a really really hard ride. It's it's hard along the lines of Leadville 100. It's the same similar times. You know, the winters are are low six hours and. You know, breaking eight hours is really, really good, and breaking ten hours is is still good. You know, it's one of those things. It's a long, it's a hard ride. Um, it's you get like challenge. Belgian waffles at the end, or something. you get Belgian waffles at the beginning. At the beginning, yeah, throw then, them down, and then beer, and beer. burn them off. And oh, beer. so get wasted at the end. Yeah, good. yeah, yeah. Well, you load yeah. that you you carbo load with beer and alcohol, which is which is good. There's few things better than beer on a bonked body. <laughs> I, I, I have a sense that you get drunk way faster if you're oh, depleted oh. after a workout. I'm not. I'm oh. not sure, but yeah, I would. I can only imagine. I, I know that there are some people who say that they can't drink until they're eating. So if you <laughs> if you imagine that, if you've just done 140 miles on your bike, more often than not, you probably finish somewhat depleted. So having a beer right away would make you happy in a hurry. Uh, so where's your diet experiment going from here? What do you think? Uh, well, after what you just said, maybe I'll try a little more protein. Uh, um, I'll, I'll let that digest a bit, but, uh, I trust you and your experience. We have different experience, so it's great when we share it. Um, and I will see how that goes. Cause I was just curious because like I said, I literally haven't been hungry since I can remember. Um, and and for the last week or 10 days, I've been hungry, which is weird. And, and I refuse to let it affect me. And it goes away, you know. Oh, uh, so you're eating normal meals. Like, yeah. So you're, I, you're, not, yeah. you're not reporting like some binge behavior due to the hunger sensation. No. You're just kind of noticing yeah, that change. subtle hunger. Yeah. yeah this, guy's, this guy's got it dialed, man. I don't, I don't change. I don't let things like that affect me. <laughs> why, why, why get deterred by something as simple as hunger? Yeah. Something as trivial. It's, it's more of a curiosity than anything. You know, my life is an experiment, and uh, this is just part of it. So it's more of like data collection than anything. And, uh, yeah, it's a curiosity to see how things work or don't work, and I give them a chance, and, you know, this is what I'm doing right now. We'll see. And uh, I, I, may, I may run this route to see what happens with the hunger a little longer before I make changes. Um, it could just be that it's a metaphoric hunger and there's things that I'm missing in my life. And that's what it's you haven't been on the show in a while, so you've been experiencing hunger to get back and talk to our peeps here. It 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 could be, it could be, it could be that um, you know there's uh, yeah there's just there's there's lots of things going on in my life that could be classified in the uncomfortable, uh, you know, and not in the high effort uncomfortable, but just in the uncomfortable in general. So it could be that you know. Um, but I was talking to someone last night. Um, and, uh, she was saying one of the women that I work with, and she was saying that, uh, isn't it funny that people seeking comfort food are setting themselves up for, you know, uh, being behind for, for weeks, you know, instead of how much better they, how much better they'd be if they fasted for 24 hours instead of seeking comfort food for that 24 hours. It's sort of, it's sort of interesting. The comfort food will make them uncomfortable eventually. Yeah. 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 But, uh, but yeah, it's sort of an interesting, it goes along with, it's sort of the opposite of what you were saying about hunger. 
um, you know, if you have an emotional hunger that's that's in need of a comfort food, um, then yes, that probably shouldn't be indulged. Um, and that's what I have to figure out what it is. You know, am I am I missing something that's that's uh, metastasizing as hunger, or am I or am I actually hungry? Uh, well, and I don't uh, really know. Sometimes, you know, I know that sometimes hunger with me feels like I, I feel sick. Sometimes wow. it's, it's like that when it's in the stomach. Uh-huh. This hunger is a little lower than that. Uh-huh. It's not like in my stomach up here, right where the ribs are, rib cages. It's, yeah. it's lower in the lower abdomen. This sort of hunger yeah. that I have now. Um, and so sometimes I can't tell if I'm sick or hungry. So I put a little food in me, and nine times out of ten, it's that I'm hungry. You, know, you feel better, and I feel better. Yeah. This is this is going back several years before before I started this. Um, before the brain fog came, before came the over. before the the, <laughs> the diets shifted when Brad and I started doing this. I don't know. I was I remember being around two thousand and eight when I started to work on it because my wife at the time was had Hashimoto's, so we were fiddling with the diets to see what we could figure out. So um, my diet sort of been improving since two thousand and eight. Although I've always eaten what I thought was good. I just, right. my, my opinion of what I thought was good has changed. That's all, you know, because I've always cared about that. Yeah. You know, right. at one point I was doing it because I was making a living with my body and the next, and then I was doing it because now that I know what feeling good really feels like, it's awful not to feel good. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how awful it is, you know? That's interesting insight you know, that we should all, we should yeah. all rewind the tape here. Yeah, so right. I mean, and, and like you were talking about, I think it was your relative or someone in a uh, friend, uh, husband oh, Kyle, of your friend, Kyle, Kyle's brother. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I having said, never felt great yeah. and not knowing what it's like to feel at peak, yeah. peak level of dietary efficiency and, you know, we, by definition, fitness, we were having, Oof. we were having an argument. Uh, um, well, we were having a discussion and, uh, he was telling me that, uh, he feels fine and stuff. And I, and I was looking at him and he was probably 40 or 50 pounds overweight. And I'm looking at him I'm like, I said, you have no idea what feeling fine is. I don't think you've ever felt fine. So I'm not sure what, why you're so confident in, in, in your experiences um, and, and, you know, and believing that, you know, what feeling good feels like, cause I just don't think you ever have felt good. And just a guess, just, yeah, a, just, just a guess. And, uh, and, uh, my friend Kyle banged me on the side and said, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I think there's lots of people like that. They don't know what it feels like to feel good. And, and maybe they did when they were in their teens and early twenties, but, um, it happens so gradually that we don't notice the change, you know? Um, but I went from being an athlete to working in front of a computer and I could tell the difference because it was quick. I mean, I just literally stopped racing September 93. I stopped. After you got your butt kicked in England. After I which got... Which is when I should have stopped too. Yeah. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. You, you know when it's time to stop, it's time to stop. It's yeah, great. Exactly. Yeah. I was running so hard... I was trying as hard as I ever could, and I was running at least three minutes slower than I normally ran a 10K. Yeah. And I knew that that was, that was going to be the end. Once I finished this race, that was, that was it. Yeah. 
Remember awesome. we, went, we went up to Tahoe after that? Yeah. And, and, and we were less like... I was like, Andrew, what are you doing? You, you don't want to train? <laughs> no. Oh, that was, that was great. <laughs> Unfortunately, my lesson took another year and some to learn, but I remember my last race was Wildflower, triathletes. Oh, and, but you had a great yeah. race in, in, in Atlanta in 94, the next spring. You had a great race. No, that was 93. Sorry, I, oh, I, I wish that was something to say. But after oh, that, I just was oh. a steady demise oh. into a shell of my former self. But it's funny because athletes, uh, you see the guys in the NBA, the NFL, more famous, uh, playing out in a more famous manner than, than my little triathlon career. But, you know, it's just that, that one level off from where I was. And a lot of times I'd come back from these races and I'd say, I had the greatest bike ride. I dropped people on the hills. It was incredible. I was up there riding with Pig and Riccatello and St. Thomas. And then I had a crappy run. And that literally had never happened to me in my history of my career where I'd be on, 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 on a certain event and then feel like crap on the next event. That happens a lot on the recreational amateur level because people aren't trained properly well, and or they mean, blow their You mean wide, by but, event, you mean section of that one event, right, like that right. one race. Yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. sport. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so that was the puzzling thing was like, wait a second. I knew I wasn't overtrained or exhausted or, or coming down with a cold or something because I, I kicked butt on, on two of the three sports. And um, that's when you start to see this glimpse of like, hey, man, the reason you had a crappy run is because you're not where you were before. And so it took a while. But I remember the last race at Wildflower, um, there's, the, the triathletes know that the race finishes with that extreme downhill down to the finish line where you're just pounding your quads. And I was in second place for, you know, 69 miles of a 70-mile race. That's a long time to be holding second place and the money and the, the, the things that go with it. And, um, then some dude went flying by me. It was just some rookie pro out of nowhere. I'd never saw him. I looked back 27 times, never saw him. So this guy was like fire in his eyes and I just let him pass me and go on. I said, good job, man. And I had not the slightest interest in chasing him down. And for me, that was, you know, that was the end. Like when your brain goes there, that's when, you know, you might as well, I, I crossed the line. I took my shoes off. They were bloody from blisters and threw them in the garbage. And that was the end. I, rem- I remember I was there watching, and it's the only because you were retired. Your mother effing retired and, a year and a half before that. And uh, I remember sort of being in awe that someone with as much fight as you just didn't care. You literally, and I could tell. It's like I, I remember thinking, "It's like he's running like he doesn't really care," you know. And then, sure enough, when somebody runs by him, and I, I, I can't imagine that Brad couldn't have given the guy. 20 meters and still passed him because there were 400 meters left on the flat, but he didn't care. I didn't check the course out before either. I didn't know there was any flat. Oh, you didn't? Oh. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't never I did. talk you through that course? Uh, maybe yeah. I wasn't listening. Was, yeah. you know. Well, you didn't care before the race, I guess either. So, yeah, yeah. but it's good. I, I enjoy reminiscing with you and I hope, you know, for the listeners, like there is those points in life where you have to ask yourself a hard question and pull yourself out of the pattern that was so familiar. And I remember being on your couch in Tahoe going, let's go. We, we got to get dressed and we, we want to get around the lake before the crowd comes. And, and you're like, no, nah, I don't feel like it. And it was like the most inexplicable behavior of this guy who had been going for what the previous nine years, every single day with not the slightest wavering of motivation. And I think, you know, everyone can kind of connect to this story because there's that point that comes, whether it's your job or, I don't know, parenting, you're sick of these kids, it's time for them to get out of the house. I don't know, whatever the example is, but when we ignore those signs, and I feel like I ignored the sign a little bit, 
Not that I should have quit at the exact same moment as you, but looking back, that would have been a darn good time to quit and try to go into the next phase of life, such as uh, reserving domain names where we'd have, you know, multi-million dollars in our pocket just from fooling around like we did back in the old days before we knew, you know, what this whole web explosion was going to be because we went from triathlon to doing interesting work with this thing called the internet back in 1995. We were, we were cutting edge on that. Was it 95? I thought it was 94. Yeah, like that's, when, that's when we started out oh, okay. building websites and yeah, things yeah. of that nature. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it's to me, those are um, the best things of offer that we could share with uh, a listeners to say, uh, you know, for, for your recreational uh, endurance pursuits, maybe 2018 isn't the best year. I promise you the races will be there in 2019 if that's going to work out for you. But like you relate last year with the family illness and all that, you you put exercise aside willfully, not not by choice. I'm sure you would have dreamed of something better, but that was the thing to do at that time to you know be of best service to the world and also to you know look after your health once again because oh, training yeah. through all that bullshit is not healthy and people try to do that all the time. Yeah, no no regret. Certainly more important to take care of a father than it is to go out and, and take that energy and do a run or whatever or that time. So, yeah. Uh no no regrets whatsoever in that, but it's time to wind it back up and see what happens. Life is an experiment as I say. We'll check in later with your rewinding or winding it back up into future magnificent athletic exploits. We'll find out. Andrew McNaughton, thanks for joining me. This is your host, Brad Kearns. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Hey, if you have questions, comments, feedback, what were those guys talking about? Anything, send it to info at primalendurance.fit. I appreciate you. Take care. (laughs) So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table? It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too it's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my gosh. So she likes like the mayo on a Oh yeah, on. she so she loves those sort of we love them as well. We have uh we, we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo, we eat the balsamic, we eat the the ranch, um the avocado oil we use all the time. And and so, you know, that's completely genuine and I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish Balance Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. And uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. (laughs) It's my pleasure.